Another installment of the Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me today is my guest. Can I can use your full name. Yes. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Good. Uh, and Andrew Phillips. Mm-hmm. Hi, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Okay. And uh, you, I guess you're a, a, a listener, right? I am. I've been a fan since back when you were the only one on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. That's going back a few years now. You think it's like, gosh, I may have only really put out maybe thirty episodes or something like that, but it kind of stretches over about three or four years now. I think. Yeah, but uh, they always turn out pretty good, so can't really oh. complain. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, and uh, let, me, let me get just a bit of biographical data about you. You're. Uh, can I ask how old you are? I'll ask you some. I'll ask you the Korean questions up front. Sure, that's okay. Okay, great. So, how old are you? I'm 26. 26, okay. And, and what, what do you do? I work in a museum. I manage the collections. Oh, okay, all right. And are, are, are you married? or? No, I'm single. Okay, okay, great. All right. And, uh, okay, so I guess uh, that sort of brings us to the your, your kind of your favorite conspiracy, uh, part of a museum. Um, let's see. You, now, you, you found the original constitute. No, you... Uh, <laughs> What, what is it your had a map on the back. It was amazing. Yeah, it's a little treasure map to uh, to the uh, to the, uh, the 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 Holy Grail, the, the Templar treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It turns out it was in North Dakota the whole time. We never thought to look there. Who knew? All right. Now I guess now they're looking for shale. Ever since they've been fracking the shale gas right in North North Dakota, the, mm-hmm. uh, we had yeah. to get in there quick before it got destroyed. Yeah, like oh my God, Templar treasure. <laughs> All right. So, so what 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 is your conspiracy? How how did you sort of come about this connected to your whole museum museum work? Sure. Well, uh, my conspiracy sort of my interest in it arose when I was a student in uh, as an undergrad student at Gettysburg College, which is in Pennsylvania, at the site of the of the uh, the famous battle. And it is the idea that is fairly prevalent among those who still support the Confederacy, the Southern states that there at some point were thousands, possibly tens of thousands, and I've even seen hundreds of thousands, but that that was one particular gentleman who was a little more off than others, Mm -hmm. of uh, black men, both free and slave, who willingly put on a uniform and were soldiers in the Confederate Army. Right, okay. And and, and this this is kind of being suppressed by by the victors, right? Yes, it is a vast Yankee slash Northern conspiracy to make it to make pretty much to make Southern people look as bad as possible. Okay. Um, now, you're, so your your actual museum is it is it a Civil War museum? It's a local history museum. Uh, right now, it's the sesquicentennial, which is the 150th, and uh, we have the distinction of having one of the first land battles. I mean, it was. 90 guys on one side and maybe 150 on the other, and one person died. So it wasn't much of a battle, but... Okay, uh, okay. Now, now, I'm I'm Canadian. I'm aware of, mm-hmm. the, civ- aware of the Civil War. More, more sure, familiar, I can... Yeah, more familiar with the War of 1812, but... Um, um, which, <laughs> uh, that, that's coming up, a big history. The bicentennial yeah, that's the of Yeah, I'm yeah. Getting, I guess okay. for you, it's that you drove us out, and for us, it's that we got our national anthem out of it. Pretty much. So. Yeah, that's true. Okay. All right. So, um, now, okay. Now, um, so your museum is the, is a Gettysburg museum or no? It's no. the 
It's in Fairfax, Virginia. It's a little town outside of um, Washington, D.C. Okay, okay. But no, it's we just sort of, sort of local history, but right now we're focusing on the war. Okay, uh, okay. Now, sesquicentennial sesquicentennial of, of, the Civil of, War, yeah. Okay, the whole Civil War, okay. Yes, it started in 1861 and then ends in, eight, in April of 1865, essentially. Okay, and I guess when we talk about the Civil War, we mean the American yes. Civil War. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to give a little uh, background for anybody who's not <laughs> yeah. as familiar, I'm sure, as I am. It's, it's like when I was in Korea, I'd always talk about the Queen. And mm-hmm. so Koreans would be like, well, well what Queen? You know, I mean, they've had lots of queens in their history. They'd, well, you know, mm-hmm. the Queen, the Queen of England. What other Queen is there? You know? <laughs> queen Amidala? You know? Okay, right. So the American Civil War, but let's just call it the Civil War. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, okay. So, Sorry, how did you encounter this sort of this kind of this 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 notion? There were there were there were sort of black soldiers fighting. Something well, it was something I just kept coming across. It's um, particularly in history that's written before, say, the nineteen twenties. It's it's a fairly common idea, um, but one that's just sort of a just sort of like a throwaway line. You know, it's like, and there were black soldiers, but then they would move on to other things because it's either they didn't have much detail or they thought everybody knew. But then, of course, um, Civil War hit. Uh, I, I won't get too into it because it's it can be boring even to me. But Civil War history itself changed um, in the 1920s and 30s, and then especially during civil rights, which was the 1950s and 60s, uh, when all of a sudden they realized that yeah, this was about. Slavery and um, it began to be interpreted much uh, in that fashion. But there are people who hang on to the idea. Actually, let me let me go back and just give a yeah, brief yeah, sure. history of the, what the war is. I guess mm-hmm. um, essentially it was uh, started because at the very beginning of the country in 1776 and later when they were doing the Constitution in 1787. People like Jefferson and people like Hamilton couldn't come to an agreement about a number of different issues, but slavery was one of those things that they kept kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. They, um, even the more enlightened slaveholders were always of the opinion, uh, Jefferson and Washington among them, that slavery was a bad thing, but eventually it would die a natural death, right. and uh, it would just sort of fade away. I, I, I don't know. And that I guess they thought that would be the best way to do it for both the slave and the guy who was holding the slave because they were far more concerned about that latter group than the actual people in chains. But that was a different issue. Um, but the, essentially early American history can be talked about as a a battle between pro and anti-slavery forces. And it really picks up uh, after the War of 1812. When they start realizing that we're going west and people want to take their slaves with them, mm-hmm. but uh, most people in the north are saying, well, we want to settle in these places, but we don't want – either they don't want slavery there or they don't want slavery there because they don't want the competition because it was far cheaper labor than uh, than you know their own, free white, I suppose. Right, okay. Now, they also weren't fans of immigrants, but that was also okay. something now, else. <laughs> now, as the sort of new states came into the Union – did they have to be slave free or it was it, it pretty much at the very beginning started as just where you were geographically um, at the, the before the constitution even one of the few things that our first government really accomplished was banning slavery outright 
in the states, what was called the Old Northwest, which is now Ohio, Michigan, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, those those states. Um, I'm sure I forgot one. Wisconsin? I think Wisconsin would be the one. Um, but uh, it was then allowed in Kentucky and Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, and West. And as American history progressed, they uh, kept making compromises saying, okay, you can the slave states can have Missouri, but we get Maine, and that's going to be free. And that was sort of a no-brainer, I guess. But uh, they, kept, they said, okay, but we can't have it above this line. But then they get to Kansas, and there's a big fight over whether slavery can be in Kansas, and Kansas is above the line, and it's just – it's back and forth for decades, and that, it culminates in a war. Was that the Mason-Dixon line? The Mason-Dixon line is between Pennsylvania and Maryland and Virginia, which are the uh, – which were slave states and Pennsylvania being free. Um, but that was – that's a little bit north oh, okay. of what ends up being done a little later. Okay. So, so, I, I guess, so you were saying in the, in the 20s then that, this, that some people were sort of holding on to this idea that, you know, that, that blacks had sort of fought for the Confederates. It kind of died down, but when the civil rights movement sort of popped up in, in, in the 60s, some, some people sort of really resurrected this idea? Yeah, it was – I mean, frankly, I think it's one of those things that I'm going to say that there were African-Americans fighting for the South, because if I say that, then me, who has or uh, who has been supporting the South all this time, and my ancestors, who probably fought for the South, uh, don't look racist, essentially. Right, I mean, right. a lot of it is just trying to save face, I think. Right. Well, I mean, don't, don't people in the South, I mean, do they still sort of sort of frame it as like the war of northern aggression or something <laughs> it's uh it depends on where you go okay i mean um some do and it's it's becoming mostly a generational thing um i had family on both sides of the line so i had people fighting on both sides and i try not to just wow i, I just like the fact that i had ancestors who fought for a country that was all about slavery but there's not much i can do about it but other people have I guess harder times holding on to that. Okay, all right. So you, you, your family's been—you've just didn't come off a boat recently or something. Right? <laughs> uh, no, I've 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 been around. Well, not me. I've been around only twenty six years. But uh, people with my last name and those that they marry um, have been around for quite a while. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do you, do you know how far back your family goes in the in, in, um, in American history? I don't know my last name. I think it was I forget. But I, the earliest one is 1610. Wow. Okay. He was a he was a jerk who invited some Indians to a dinner party for peace and poisoned them. <laughs> so you know I've got I've got a lot of I got some baggage I suppose. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So um, sorry. Okay. Okay. Where were we? So um. Sure. Um, it, the, the it's an idea that Southerners today have trouble letting go of that this was a war about slavery right right uh, okay and they usually say it's states rights but what they don't then they don't use that the logical next sentence is the states wanted the right to continue to have slaves they just don't it uh, i don't know it makes them feel better i guess i mean that sounds mean uh -huh. but um right and i don't and i can't generalize about everyone of course but there are definite pockets of resistance even now to the idea of the united states as a whole i guess but uh, especially to the idea that the confederates were and were anything but fighting for their homes and families 
and for the glorious ideas that our founding fathers first had, that sort of a thing. Uh, the, like the, I guess it was the um, American South. Like it was, it, it was very agricultural, right? And so they they completely relied upon like this basically free slave labor to sort of work the fields, and like that was that was kind of what the whole Southern economy was geared on. Right. That was that was the biggest single difference between the North and the South um, at this time, and the North. The North in the Civil War context means pretty much everybody that didn't secede, didn't leave the Union, but in practical terms, the North was uh, pretty much Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, New England, those sorts of areas, um, the old North, I guess, if okay. you will. Um, and they were – yeah, they had started becoming much more um, urban. There were far more European immigrants. There were uh, – it was a lot of factory um, – it was a more factory-based economy, and the South stayed largely agricultural. And it was either large plantation owners who did mostly cash crops, cotton and tobacco and things, and they uh, they were the ones who had the vast majority of the slaves. And then there were there were a fair amount of people who had maybe a slave or two, but you got to imagine that back in the day, a slave was essentially equivalent to what a luxury automobile is now. I okay. mean, these were not. This wasn't you went out and got a chicken. This was a very expensive, you know, capital investment. Right. Um, but uh, it was either they were plantation owners or smaller farmers, and the lower rungs of the Confederate, I guess I shouldn't say Confederate at this point, of Southern society, they, uh, they, it's it's sort of like the idea of taxing the rich now. Nobody wants to tax. Or I guess in America, nobody wants to tax the richest people because what happens if you end up being one of the richest people? You don't want to be taxed. Right, and that right. was the sort of way it, the the poorer classes in the white classes in the Confederacy would always think that hey, maybe someday I'll get a slave. So I don't want slaves to go away. I want that. Um, right. So it right. became a something that everybody was supporting, even if not even, even if the vast majority of the population didn't own right. slaves. Yeah. I mean, I mean the uh, Occupy Wall Street. Withstanding, I, I, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I was a podcast called Econ Talk that that the uh, the host sort of noted that yeah that this it's rather curious that even um, that a lot of poor Americans uh, don't believe in in sort of taxing the rich too onerously because because there is a perception like yeah I might I might become rich you know so then I'll have to pay those taxes so right yeah. I win the lottery I don't want the government taking all my money so I might as well make sure that the people who have it now keep it exactly I guess I don't know. Now, now this this is one of those conspiracies, and I, I find this kind of encouraging. But it's one of those rare conspiracies where, if you kind of search on things like you know, uh, you know, blacks in the Confederate Army, it seems to me that the first, gosh, you know, two or three pages that come up are all, you know, uh, legitimate historical websites that 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 sort of poo-poo this notion. That you you, you kind of gotta gotta really dig to find, um, you know, to find websites that do talk about it and, and yeah you know, even when you do find those websites that they're not and it's professional kind of, well they're, they're i mean they're not professional looking but but they don't read being wild-eyed crazy either like 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 yeah you know not like you know, <laughs> you know like like they just sort of seem like like you you eventually pass me on um uh, uh one, one site mm-hmm. that sort of guy that you the does a very good job, I think, of summarizing. I think this guy believes it, right? Sort of summarizing. I think so. I mean, I, I just just did some more looking into that site itself, and it was, it's hosted on a 
um, I don't know, through a company that basically just does you, – you can create your own page of genealogy information. And this was essentially, I assume, to – like so you can share other information with people. I mean this isn't um, – I guess it's not like GeoCities or something. It's maybe a step up from that. Right, right. But yeah. uh, it's, it's that sort of thing. It was very – it's very much amateur. And a lot of the quotes he uses are verbatim from other books and other websites. Okay. Uh, All right. But I should yeah, I mean yeah, this conspiracy isn't uh as sexy as some. I mean the end result, the end thought process is not that Lincoln was actually a lizard alien who was, <laughs> you know, controlling things or anything. Um so it's it ends up just being a lot of exaggeration, a lot of misinterpretation and um sure, once sure. or twice it's like lies, but usually I don't I haven't found too much of that. Okay. Now, one one of the examples of this website is, and and again, if you're not really sort of digging into this, it can seem very compelling. Like for example, uh, Arlington National Cemetery. There's like a Confederate soldier memorial, mm-hmm. and, and, and the author goes to great sort of pains to note that that the guy who did the memorial, he served the Confederate Army. He was Jewish, and probably like mm-hmm. the first you know officer, if not a Jewish officer in the American military, at least the Confederate Army, and lo and behold, on that uh, memorial, there's a there's a picture of a black soldier. So how do you answer that, smart guy? Oh, well, that's pretty tough. I mean, uh, I will say for the Confederacy that while they were extremely prejudiced, uh, they tended to be less so um, toward both Jews and Native Americans. I think the first just because there weren't very many, and the second because uh, they figured that the United States was mean to them. Maybe if we're nice to them, they'll help us out, and that actually ended up being true. The last general who surrendered, Confederate general who surrendered out in Texas, was a was named Stand Wadi or Wadi, who right. was a Cherokee, uh, okay. Cherokee chief. Right. But um, coming coming back to a War of eighteen twelve, mm-hmm. right, right? That that uh, you know uh, the, the the British and Canadians, well, they weren't really Canadians at that point in eighteen twelve, but, but yeah, we definitely uh, allied ourselves with the Indians, right? So mm-hmm. you know, the enemy, my enemy, kind of thing. Yes, it was it was convenience more than it was, uh, you know, trying to help yeah. our noble Native American brothers. Even to this day, Canada uses our Native population kind of as political bargaining chips. Like we got a province, uh, Quebec, that wants to separate, and one of the big things is like, you know, if you guys separate, you know, uh, all these, you know, Indians in your province, they they have, uh, you know, they have certain federal guarantees, and you know, what are you gonna do about them? You can't really separate, you know. Huh. <laughs> and, but it's sort of like, but you know. Barring that separation thing, well, who cares? Let's let's ignore this problem. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, so it's sort of a little... yeah. Uh, back to the monument. I mean, okay. the monument. I think the biggest thing I can say about it is that it was put up. I, I want to say it was 1909. It was. It wasn't. This was not something that was erected immediately. Um, and by this, by that point, um, it had become an accepted uh, sort of. What's the word? Maybe like bit of trivia mm-hmm. as part of the war. It's like um, after after the war, there was a whole lot of attempts to – they wanted to reconcile. Yeah. It took a long time, but the way eventually it occurred, the way that whites, I, I suppose, um, from the north and the south eventually came back together was that they the, – the north essentially said, you know what? You do what you got to do down there. Um, with your minority populations, and we'll just let it be. But you know what? We both fought honorably in this war, so we need to come together 
and um, you know sew up this divide. And this was this was a big reason for uh, things like the Spanish-American War, where we attacked uh, Cuba and Teddy Roosevelt rode up San Juan Hill and we you know killed some Spanish in the Philippines and all this other stuff because it was an exterior enemy to bring northern and uh, northern and southern men, white men, back together. Oh, okay. But, I mean, th- this was – and it became just one of those things, I think, that northerners didn't argue anymore. Right. Uh, slavery was sort of downplayed in this era. African-American participation, even in the north, which had famous regiments like the 54th Massachusetts, which was the basis of the movie Glory with uh, uh, Denzel Washington and Matthew Broderick and um, Morgan Freeman. I mean, these were – even these northern units were downplayed just because it was sort of a, you know what, we won't talk about it and we'll just let it, you know, sweep it under the rug and we'll get back together, I guess. Right. And, you can have your kind of polite fictions. Uh, right, know, yeah. As long as they're not too onerous or something. Right. Right. And that's the era where this monument comes from. That was when, I mean, the whole point of Arlington was that it was Robert E. Lee's house. And after the war, or excuse me, immediately uh, following the war's beginning, uh, federal troops marched over and took it because it was on a hill directly across the river from Washington. You can see it uh, from the from the National Mall and from like the Jefferson Memorial, I believe. And so they just took it. And uh, it be- and after a few years, General um, Meigs, I think uh, M E I G S. I always pronounce that wrong, and I may have just spelled it wrong. But uh, he basically said, "I'll show him," and he started burying Union bodies on in Arlington. I mean it was his it was Robert E. Lee's plantation and he was the main general mm. in the Confederacy at this point. He was in charge uh, of the Northern Army of Northern Virginia, which was the army in the East. Okay. And he just didn't want Lee to ever get his house back. It didn't matter to him who won the war. He just wanted to make it awful for Lee. He was burying them as close to the house as he possibly could. Um, and back then it wasn't it wasn't even an honor. It became an honor uh, later Wow. Okay. But then, but back then, it very much was not. It was people. It was pretty much the unidentified, and it was. But then, it was in around the turn of the century that during this sort of era of reconciliation, that they said, you know what, we'll let the Confederates have a little plot in Arlington National Cemetery because they fought for their, you know, blah blah blah, and it's got it's got a little little circle. There's that monument in the center, and it's called I think Stonewall Jackson. Way or Avenue or something like that, you know, the little street that's inside the cemetery. Um, but it's th- – that's the result. That's what I have to say about that monument. Okay, okay. But but there were um, – like there were blacks in in the Confederate Army, but but not as soldiers. There were. The, I guess – Yeah, this is yeah. what they, they kind of – this is sort of where the, the – the, the cherry picking sort of happens. It's like, yes. well, look, there there were all these black people in the in the army, but but they weren't in the army, right? Right. That's that's an excellent point. I mean, you, it's got to be. When I say there weren't um, African American soldiers in the Confederate Army, uh, I mean that that has a couple of caveats. First of all, being I'm defining a soldier in this particular instance as someone who is given a uniform, who is called a soldier, who is given a gun. I think almost most importantly, and is in some way involved in the actual fighting. There were thousands and thousands of uh, slaves and freed, uh, freedmen sometimes who were conscripted to basically do, uh, build fortifications and um, 
there were lots of they were teamsters and they were cooks and they were musicians and a fair number of officers, particularly if they were from wealthy families, would bring a slave, a body servant with them to war. And we've got some great pictures of uh, – there's one of a man. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a black man in a Confederate uniform with his hat on his knee. He's got the forage kepi hat on his knee. And it, it, there's – if you don't know anything, it's like, oh, well, this is definitive proof. But the man's name was Marlboro Jones, and he was brought as a as a sold as a um, as a servant, and defend, and essentially they thought it'd be cool to to dress him up and take a picture. Um, it's it's not when you know the history of that photograph, it's a little more demeaning than right, um, right. yeah than it, it looks. In my my own experience in Korea, that um, like on sort of the big Korean holidays. Nothing the Korean newspapers loved more was to find like blonde white women living in Korea, grab them, dress them up in Korean hanboks, which is kind of traditional Korean costume, and then try to get them to make kimchi and take photographs of them. And this is always fr- right on the front page. And to a Korean, it just it looks hilarious. Like, look at this. And laugh blonde- at how terrible their kimchi is. <laughs> yeah, look at this blonde woman in a hanbok. She looks so silly. Oh, and she's trying to make kimchi and she's doing a poor job. Oh, this is so funny. Yeah, like, like, uh, yeah, it, that makes that makes perfect sense. People do mm. that. Yeah, there are, there are a fair number of those pictures out there, but I mean, I I can't think of any that are not of body servants. Okay, um, right. Now, if you were to have, let's say, like like black people uh, in the Confederate Army, and they and they've got some sort of uh, support role, like you know, you know, they're a cook or or or. or um, um, what was I think Michael Palin or something? Or he was talking about uh, like history during the uh, you know the Crusades, but like like mm-hmm. like the washerwomen, you know, like like how how the washerwomen were uh, just just incredibly important to both sides of the army. They're just the ones who kept everybody all the clothes clean and stuff like that. Sure, and, all the yeah. camp followers in medieval armies. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like when when the armies sort of attack the other armies, like they they no but they would always spare the washerwomen, or or they would frequently spare the washerwomen, and, right? Yeah, sort of have prisoner exchanges of the washerwomen and things like that. So so, but I guess my my point is that uh, you know, so you've got you've got all these these black people attached to the army. They're gonna probably dress them in something that looks military like. So you just don't mm-hmm. think, well, who's this guy wandering around? Who's this guy wandering around camp? Right, and like. Yeah, so, or you know, even just what clothes they happen to have. I mean, it's like this guy needs new pants. Here's some army pants. You know, it wasn't right. It wasn't a big, or even just taking them from um, dead Union soldiers. Or I suppose it was as much often captured Union goods, but still, they were right. there were a fair amount of Confederates wearing blue. I suppose okay. I should say. All right. now, now, I'd also imagine sort of in the you know in the later days of the war when it maybe looked like the South was going to lose that that there must have been some sectors were calling like let's uh, let's Let's put black people in the army. Like, like, you know, mm-hmm. what, did that go on? Was that was the, that? That I think the there's I think there's two excellent um, places where I am entirely wrong when I say that there were no African Americans uh, in the Confederate Army. Okay. One is when you're talking about at the very end of the war, uh, there was a massive debate. I mean, it would have made the healthcare debate that we recently had here look like nothing. <laughs> Um, the polite about, discussion. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a it was been a quiet talk over tea, but uh, it was this massive debate, but uh, spearheaded by a couple of army um, officers actually, particularly a man named Patrick Claiborne who was an Irish immigrant 
and um, was a one of the best divisional commanders in the war. But he wrote this this very long letter, um, and it was signed by several other officers. And he was out in the Western Army, which was which was what they called like Tennessee and Georgia. But uh, just saying at the beginning of 1864, saying, "Look, if we're going to win, we need to give up some stuff, and one of the things we can give up is slavery. If we offer these men." The chance to fight and gain their freedom, we would have a sudden um, inflowing of manpower that the South had never seen. Uh, that was one of the biggest problems that the South had was that uh, it had a significantly smaller population than the North. And at that same token, three million, three to four million, I should say, of those men were completely ineligible from serving because they were black either mostly slave, but there were some um, free as well, but they couldn't join either. And so they had this massive debate uh, pretty much at the – it's at the very end of the war, late 1864, early 1865, um, and it just rages back and forth across the South trying to decide which – do they want to win? Though frankly, I'm of the opinion that even if they had – been able to institute it immediately and done it very well they they were still it was still a little too late because essentially the union army was encamped around the confederate capital um and they would pass this legislation about a week or two before richmond the capital would fall and then just a a few weeks before the main uh before general lee would surrender and he was the pretty much the the first domino i guess okay but so, it was it was it was insane. Right. So, but I guess if you sort of just cherry pick the the pro letters, which might have just mm-hmm. represented a, like a, a small minority of you know, uh, you know the, uh, the the military, you know, then it would look like wow, the, the, the you know the the Confederates are really you know these all these impassioned arguments, stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, but not sort of realizing, especially if you're not showing you know all the other letters going back, you know, the other side, you know. Right. Which, which, I think – I mean I I can't uh, – there were plenty of realists, I guess we could say, mm-hmm. in the Confederate Army at this point, and they knew that what they needed was men, and they didn't care enough about slavery to let that um, – to let that be the thing that was going to hold them back. Right. Um, but, I mean, th- you're right. There was plenty going the other – sh- I shouldn't say that they were enlightened. They were just – they just wanted to win. Right. Um, and, and frankly, I think – uh, the main claim of this conspiracy is that all throughout the war, there were black men in uniform serving as soldiers um, in as many different theaters as you can name, and they were doing so successfully that they were fighting with their uh, with white um, with white soldiers, and they were uh, brethren in arms, and you know this very noble sort of idea. But during during that debate over whether or not it should be a national law, I suppose, to make it so that uh, slaves could join the Confederacy, uh, Confederate Army. One gentleman whose name was Howell Cobb, he was a – he was very briefly at the beginning the speaker of the Confederate House of Representatives. He was a former secretary of state for the United States, and he was a general in the Confederate Army. He says, um, and I quote, you cannot make soldiers of slaves or slaves of soldiers. The day you make a soldier of them is the beginning of the end of the revolution, and that he meant the Civil War. Uh, or their idea of what it was. And if slaves seem good soldiers, then our whole theory of slavery is wrong. And that doesn't seem – this is not a man who doesn't know what's going on around him. He was in the army. He was 
in high positions in Confederate government, if anybody would have known about uh, black people serving effectively in the Confederate army, it would have been this man. And it, it, would, it doesn't make any sense for him to say something like this. And he says this in late 1864. It doesn't make sense for him to say something like that okay. if there have already been men in the army. Uh, so, uh, so I don't know how people within this conspiracy sort of ignore that sort of a thing. Right, right. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's obscure. I don't know. Did you did you tell me that um, like like at your museum, like people will come up to you at your museum and kind of want to know about this? Like, you know, how come you're not, you don't have more stuff devoted to, you know, like you know the the black people who served the con, in the you know the Confederate Army? How like do do you encounter this from just like the 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 museum patrons? It's it's come up once or twice. I okay. mean, um, we're we're in a position. Where we get, we had to walk a very fine line. Just let I me mean, geographically where we are, uh, because you know, if we 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 had for our current exhibit, which is about what it was like in the area in the first year of the war, we had up a Confederate battle flag, which is the square one that um, has the the St. Andrew's cross with the white stars in it, the famous one that people <laughs> think of when they think of the Confederate flag. Right. We had one up because in our area. While was under while the Confederates were in control, uh, the president Jefferson Davis and several other government and uh, prominent generals met at our courthouse, and they said that uh, that they they chose that design, and so we had it up and we said we don't put this up as a political statement. It's just a part of the history that happened here, mm-hmm. and we had somebody complain. I mean, it's been, but we also get people who come in to talk about the. Uh, Blacks in the Confederate Army, and we also—I mean, we also—are uh, in charge of a couple of historic houses, and I give tours of those every once in a while. And almost every time, I get a ghost question, and I approach that <laughs> the same way as I approach this sort of thing. I—I've stopped arguing with them, okay, um, and I just say, you know, we've never found any evidence of that, right? But I'm sure, you know, and I just try to push them off to talk to someone else as, right. as gently as I possibly can. Do, but do, it's, you know. Do, do you listen to the uh, uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe? Um, yes. I've listened to a few. I, I'm okay. not a regular subscriber. Oh, wow. okay. okay. Well, the, the, the host, uh, Dr. Novella, he, he he made the point once that um, like like spiritualism in America sort of really kicked off after the Civil War. You know, mm-hmm. because, I mean, there had never been, you know, in sort of recent memory, you know, so many, uh, you know, mothers who had lost sons or families who had lost right. – children right you know and 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 there's this there's a lot of grief going around it and so and these spiritualists sort of came around and they're sort of like um you know you can i can you can talk to your son if you want you know and and, and people really sort of grasp onto this like there's this kind of this false hope that you know i've lost you know my my 19 year old son and you know now i can oh i can talk to him from beyond the grave it, 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 did you ever kind of encounter any of that i i, that I mean connection? it's it's been um I have never found any direct connection between the black soldiers, no, I guess north or south, okay. and um, and the sort of spiritualist movement. I think that as much arose from a from where they were in the sort of. I mean, this this would have been after the the uh, this, the Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening, I guess. Second Great? I always forget. But <laughs> the, one of the Great Awakenings. Um, and it was sort of the place that white America was re- religiously combined with the fact that there were 
600,000 people dead on both – I mean, not to get uh, – combined right. on both sides, not to, not on each side. Right. Um, I think the, 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 some, the little bit of research I've done into that has been that mostly the African-American churches at the time, the sort of um, – uh, what is it called? Like Zionist Episcopal, something like that, um, that they were in sort of a different place. Okay. Um, so I haven't found a lot of spiritual connection. I'm sure there was. I mean, right. everybody was grieving. Okay. So I can't imagine. What what are the what are the interesting things? I think it was the Ken Burns um, Civil War mm-hmm. uh, special. Uh, there, there, it was a very brief mention, but I found it kind of fascinating. Where um, I mean, the American Civil War is really the first kind of war where where uh, slaughter was on a more industrial scale, right? And and. And the, you know the European powers were kind of looking at this this sort of slaughter um, in America, and like it or not, you know the European powers had colonies around America, and and it, it, to them it was quite it was quite horrifying, and it was, especially it was about because um, they had sort of eliminated slavery before, so there 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 was a kind of a bit of a call in you know Britain and France that you know maybe we should intervene, we should sort of send in peacekeepers and and sort of you know break the you know the north and south up and sort of stop the slaughter and and it, it's kind of interesting to think that well, you know what what if like what if they had done that but i i i, I think ultimately they, they sort of said you know no because that would maybe that would mean you know we'd have to sort of preserve slavery in the south so i mm. guess we got to let them duke it out like like yeah. yeah have you ever encountered anything like that well i'm a big fan of the alternate history genre okay. yeah, uh, yeah particularly those that are well, maybe if this guy had died, less so than the – what if all of a sudden time travelers gave – you know, that sort of a thing. Right, right, right. Um, although that – there's one of those that's fairly good. Um, but it's it's the it, – I know, what I know of it is that the South from the beginning thought that their best hope was if they could get Britain and France on their side. Mm. If they could get – I mean ideally they would want – those two powers to fight with them against the Union, but they were also fighting a war. They weren't really trying to win. They were trying to not lose, if that right. makes sense. Right. Yes, yes, yes. They, uh, the North had to win to get the outcome of the reunification of the country, but the South just had to keep from being – from losing. I mean that was one of the reasons why um, Lincoln was so happy when – the happy in quotes, uh, I suppose, when the South fired on Fort Sumter at the very beginning of the war, essentially starting um, starting it in a military capacity because it meant that they looked bad and they looked like the aggressors. Mm-hmm. The Union was just sitting in their fort. They weren't doing anything. They weren't um, – I don't believe they were even really stopping naval traffic, but they were not leaving. And the fort could control the harbor, and the South couldn't have that, and so they caved first, essentially. And um, but they were always hoping that Britain and France would come in on their side. Uh, and at the beginning of the war, when even when the war was being fought uh, for either unification or leaving, um, before the things like the Emancipation Proclamation and the Union making it a war aim to end slavery. Or at the very least, do so much damage to it that it cripples the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Um, before then, there was a possibility that that could have happened. That Britain, Britain in particular, France was pretty much just. I guess that was 
Napoleon III was pretty much waiting to see what Victoria did. But um, eventually, once it became a slavery issue, there, there, there was just no chance. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, uh, you know it was the Japanese strategy in World War II, sort of hoping you know they they pretty much figured they were going to come in conflict with America sooner or later. So they they thought, okay, we can't win against America, or at least Admiral Admiral Yamamoto, who had been educated in the states, he knew mm-hmm. there's like there's no way we can you know once they get geared up, there's no way we could win. So they thought, okay, we got to give them such a bloody nose that you know that they'll kind of go, oh, all right, we don't really want to lose two million Americans fighting you guys. So, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's a fairly common strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, works sometimes. If you sometimes. our aircraft carriers, it might have worked. Yeah, yeah, works sometimes. Like in uh, what was it? Uh, Black Hawk Down, Somalia. You know, mm-hmm. A little bit of you know that kind of strategy. It worked there. Sometimes it, it worked doesn't. in Vietnam. It worked yeah. against us in Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, America can go either way. Sometimes they go, ooh, Lebanon, you blew up our. Base yeah. in Lebanon. Ooh, okay, we're getting out. And then sometimes it's just like, no, we're just gonna carpet bomb you. <laughs> you know? Americans don't seem, in a, you know, again a sort of a generalization, but just sort of general public. It's if a war isn't a slam dunk, if it isn't, if the goal isn't that we're defeating evil and that we're gonna totally win, um, then it doesn't seem like uh, a a good idea. It doesn't seem like a quality endeavor. I mean, it's like I suppose. Iraq is kind of recent, but in a way, it is a better place, I suppose, depending on how you view it. It at least has some sort of democracy, and Saddam is gone. Um, I don't want to sound like, I don't know, a neocon or Christopher Hitchens, but I uh, – <laughs> um, and I wasn't a fan when it started. Right. But, you know, I mean it's – the uh, victory in a sense has been achieved by the United States, but because – I don't know, because when we went in, we weren't cascaded with flowers, and all of a sudden, nobody has to wear a burqa anymore. It's become something that's not uh, – that's something we didn't win, even though we didn't lose it either. But that's that's a, that's a, that's a different issue. Yeah, okay. All right. And uh, any other kind of – I mean just maybe briefly, any other sort of weird kind of uh, Civil War era, maybe conspiracy theories or uh, – that the sort of crop up from time to time. Well, there's always. I mean, anytime anybody's assassinated, it is always a huge cabal. Um, so Lincoln's death, of course, is always a. Uh, I mean, it, I guess in a way, it was a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, was a, a small conspiracy, yeah. but it's not. Uh, I, I suppose when I think of it, I think of. Well, there must have been all the bankers in New York and right. prominent Democrats, and the Queen was trying to do – you know, it's that sort of thing. But uh, really it was just – it was uh, seven or eight guys and a woman named Mary Surratt, and they uh, – I guess if you keep a conspiracy small, who knows what you can do? It doesn't mean you won't get caught, but uh, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess Lincoln's an obvious one. And uh, no other kind of – other bizarre, strange ones? Well, there's – I mean – even going back to to the black confederates, I mean, there's just so much that it's sort of um, – I think the way they talk about it, those who believe it, are that there are some facts that slip through the cracks because of prominent people or something like that where it's um, – it's they can't cover it up. But it's just been amazing. I mean I should say at the very beginning of the war um, in New Orleans, there were a group of prominent – uh, freedmen, uh, black, mostly. I guess they would they would have been light skinned. They were because they had been um, 
New Orleans was kind of a weird society because of how long it had been French for the South, and it was cosmopolitan, and um, they had funny accents, and it was a, it was the biggest city in the South in the Confederacy. But they had these prominent citizens who were African, and they were allowed to mix in the highest levels of society. And uh, I mean, they I think intermarrying probably went went a bit far, but otherwise they were essentially equal. I mean, some of them owned slaves themselves. And when the war broke out, they formed a regiment called the Corps d'Afrique, which I'm sure anybody who actually speaks French would yell at me for. But uh, they uh, – they... It's, it's not bad. Well, I – thank cord, you. Cord, cord. Yeah, you, you, you got sort of dropping the final consonants pronunciation part correctly. Oh, yeah. oh well, good for me. <laughs> but um, they essentially formed a regiment. I mean they were a strong uh, – several hundred men. And came to the Louisiana governor and said, hey, we want to help defend the – we want to join the army. We want to help defend our home. And the Louisiana governor was like, uh, OK. And when it was passed up to the Confederate chain of command, they said, oh, well, no thank you, but uh, you know, you have a good time. And so the Louisiana governor essentially allowed them to have arms and – they they supplied them themselves. He didn't give them anything. They had their own uniforms and they had their own uh, weaponry and they were put on garrison duty. And essentially they marched around the New Orleans for a little while and then they were even given a white officer so that they could be, I guess, I don't know, more respectable. But they were never put into the army itself and they were always entirely volunteer. And when the, the Union Army was approaching the city in 1862, uh, which they – they would take it fairly quickly, actually. Um, the Confederate Army was like, you know, we can't really hold this, so we're pulling out. And they took their white officers with them. Um, and so these men, this uh, these well-to-do men basically said, okay, uh, never mind, and they disbanded. And I think this is one case where the idea that even um, slaves and freedmen could have been fighting for their homes really comes into effect because these men, once the – Union took over, uh, a fair number of them, not a majority, but a fair number of them joined up with a new Corps d'Afrique, which was organized by the Union. And they ended up, they ended up actually being allowed to join uh, the, the Union Army and fought with some distinction in the Western theater. So, I mean, it's – I think that's one of those things where if you focus on that and sort of skip over the fact that the Confederacy itself said no thank you, that makes this conspiracy look – um, just like, well, th that's a story I've never heard. Right. It's got to be true. You know, that sort yes, of thing. Yes, the yes. massive cover-up that's just slipped, that this bit has slipped through. Right. The, I don't know, corrupt Yankees or something. Whoever they think is actually at the head of this. But, um, you know, it's that sort of a thing that just makes this. Okay. Yeah. It also seems to me that if, uh, you know, if you are, you know, in the leadership position in the South and you sort of see that, you know, uh, you know your your part of town is about to fall that you're you're going to start one you're going to start trying to sort of impress upon the local slave population mm -hmm. you know how noble it is to you know to to you know to the loyalty you owe your master and your the the loyalty your master has owed you to keep you know keep these people from 
grabbing kitchen knives and killing you in the night. And, oh yeah. And 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 and, and as well, um, you're gonna sort of spread among them, you know, like like so like the Japanese did, like uh, you know, is it like um, Okinawa? Was it Okinawa where they're like, oh, you know, they're gonna come and eat your babies, um, right? Rape yeah. your women, that kind of stuff. So so you know, it's like, well, uh, okay, I don't like being a slave, but I don't want to be killed. I don't want my my children eaten and raped and stuff like that. So so I'll be sure, I'll kind of maybe pitch in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I can't. I can't – I mean I don't think anyone can definitively say that at no point during the Civil War did a black man pick up a weapon and fire it toward Yankee soldiers or even killed one. I mean it's just – I'm sure that happened. There was the the body servants one, – one of the aspects of after the war, um, particularly all the veterans reunions, was there were a fair, fair number, small, but uh, still there were a number of black men who would come in uniform. To these things and say they were Confederate soldiers when re- when in reality the vast majority of them were uh, either uh, teamsters or cooks or you know somehow connected with the regiment maybe a body servant to an officer but they would be accepted in to these uh, veterans reunions and it's just I mean I, I this isn't uh, try to examine the psychology of people from you know 100 50 years ago podcast, so I, we don't have to go into that too much. But there was intense loyalty among some slaves for their masters. I mean, if you've, have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? I mean, the one of the – I love that movie, but it's – the way it depicts slavery is not great. Be, not great. That's a little uh, understating it. Um, the the only real slaves they show with any is a uh, big Sam who's the field slave I believe, um, the one with the annoying voice, whose name I don't remember, and the and Hetty McDaniel's who won the uh, Oscar. Right, yeah. Yes, and um, and all of them remain loyal to her in some fashion. I I think Big Sam uh, leaves and is in some, but comes across her later in the film. Um, and he's like, oh, it's so nice to see you, Miss Tara. You know, that sort of a thing. Um, and there, and that was sort of an idealized, of course. And that was an argument made then and even now that slavery was not that bad, that uh, the slaves were really loyal. And I'm sure there was some of that. Right, I mean, yeah. it, it, one of the most horrifying things I ever came across was in a book called The South Was Right. So you, and it was published <laughs> recently, so you can sort of guess – uh, which side of the issue they were on, but um, they use a phrase uh, – I, I, I can't repeat exactly, but they basically say that, oh, sure, sometimes slaves ran away just as sometimes children run away from home as if the, it was a willful – it was a it was an act of childish disobedience and not I don't want to have to work for you for no money and I never get to leave sort of a thing. You know, right, it's, yes. It's – you trade just, my children away. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I was gonna say, Families didn't do too well in slave society. The the, the website you you sent me it was all it was all sort of interesting where the the author spends a bit of time kind of talking about wow, gosh how poorly like uh, you know blacks were actually treated in the Union Army or mm-hmm. or in in the North. Never actually sort of mentioning how bad they were treated in the yeah. South, but as as if as if you know, um, it's, it's, a, it's a logical fallacy. It's Greek or Latin or something. To 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 q or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like a, a you did it too. You know, it's a bit of that right. kind, kind of argument. Like, well, they were 
really treated poorly. Up, you know. Yeah, and yeah. yes, yes. I mean, I, I, I don't think, you know, you weren't having your children traded away in in New York State, right? But right. You, you, I mean, at that time, you still weren't treated well, right? You still didn't have equal rights. You couldn't vote, and all mm-hmm. those sorts of crazy things. But, there, but and that's one of those things that they're right about. I mean, that's there's no way to. The, it's not as if the um, the South was horrible and the North was a utopia. I mean, right. if, if anything, if any place was a utopia, quote unquote, for um, for escaping slaves, it was Canada. I mean, that was the one place where they never had to worry about um, people coming to get them and take them back to uh, take them not take them back to Canada, take them back to the okay. South right. and take them back to slavery. Um, I mean, n- the North was no picnic either. Right. It, it, but that doesn't make that doesn't make the South right. better in comparison. I mean, so. weren't, weren't there even sort of maybe some laws someplace where like, you know, if a, if a, a, a slave kind of escaped to a, a, a non-slavery state that if, like, like were there bounty hunters that could grab them and drag them back and, and that the, was perfectly legal? The fugitive slave law was a big part of the compromises that happened uh, before the Civil War. Okay. Basically saying that yeah, you can go and get your pro- – if he gets away to Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, you can go get him or her, I suppose, or her. Um, but, of course, a lot of that would end up relying on uh, cooperation from local communities, and, and they often did not get that, <laughs> which is uh, okay. largely why the Underground Railroad was um, successful at all. Right. But th- that was – yeah, that was technically a law, a terrible, horrible – you know, dehumanizing law, but you know, what are you going to okay. do? All right, cool. Okay, I guess we, we should wrap up. And uh, okay. Uh, okay, so I, you know, you know, I'll ask you the the, the final question. Um, all right, so if you were in a uh, science fiction or fantasy army, which would you join, just based purely on the the cut of the uniform? That's a tough one. I guess. Well, how are we defining uniform? Because I suppose if I had to pick of sci-fi fantasy clothing-ish, I would go for Malcolm Reynolds in Firefly. Firefly. And he always wears that same coat, so maybe it's that's like, a uniform. Well, the, the brown coats. The, brown, the <laughs> yeah. brown coats, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, but if the, that doesn't count, then I'd probably go with Battlestar Galactica, the new one, just because it's got that sort of very great look of, this is what a navy would do, a water navy would do, if all of a sudden they had to transition to space, and they right. had to sort of, they sort of maintain that uniform style. So I'd probably oh, okay. go with that. Oh, okay, you know brown, yeah, brown coat. That that that's cool. They, yeah, they. I mean, they were like a kind of a rebel army or something at the, you know, before just at the very very beginning of the Firefly, right? Yeah. 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 That was one of those sort of series where I just came off of Battlestar Galactica and I started watching Firefly and I'm like, uh, and I I, <laughs> I I got about halfway through the first episode. And I kind of put it away, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then after sort of you know. The gritty realisticness of Battlestar Galactica kind of receded into the background. I was able to kind of get into the the bit more, you know, fly by the seat of a pants, uh, Firefly, you know, not sure. Not, yeah, and yeah. I and I got to admit, I came to it through DVD. I wasn't, I didn't watch it on TV, which of course I suppose was part of the reason it didn't make it. But <laughs> uh, you know, you sir are worse than Hitler. Oh dang. See, we were going through this so well that everybody always makes the comparison to World War II, and so far I thought we were safe because we were mostly talking about the Japanese side, but everybody always compares the Confederates to Hitler, and there it was. <laughs> 
cool. Okay, and uh, let's see. Uh, now, you, you, your 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 job is a historian. Is that your is that your title? Like, what is your title? Uh, my title is Historic Resources Specialist. Okay, cool. Um, but essentially, what it means is that I'm in charge of uh, helping maintain the collections of the museum. So I get to uh, a session, you know, bring in and store the new stuff. Um, the don uh, the donations, the purchases, and then I get to help a little bit with loans, and I get to do some research for exhibits. Okay. We're a small museum, and there's not very many people, so we all kind of wear a lot of hats. Oh yeah, so, um, right. wow. You know, one of my friends in uh, in Detroit, she she worked as a she worked as a restorer at the Henry Ford Museum, and, mm-hmm. and that's where they kind of kept all of Henry Ford's like his archive, all of his papers, right. and all that sort of stuff. And, I have a friend there; they have an amazing collection. Yeah, and, qu- and quite interesting. I mean, Henry Ford was he was uh, you know he published the 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 um, Protocols of the Elders of Zion. He was kind yeah. of a, Pro Hitler at a point in his life, and 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 she's sort of saying that you know like researchers will come in and and they'll say I, I need to see Henry Ford's writings about the Jews at this point in time, and, and they don't hide anything. They just go, here it is. You're welcome to it. Like like it's very mm-hmm. very very open. Even though mm-hmm. you know he's got a very kind of sketchy past that that that, that that they're very open about it. So yeah, and that's that's the when you get people like that. I mean, you have to. You just have to. I mean, I'm a huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft, but every once in a while you come across the, – the story The Rats in the Walls is an excellent story, but the cat has a terrible name. It's, the cat's name is the N-word man. And oh, it's no. Just, it's like, I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been really a horror story if he had just named Mr. Boots or something, but he could have thought of something – I don't know. Yeah. Maybe in newer editions they could have just changed that to Tabby. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it would have been a little less jarring when you come across that phrase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, uh, one pod's podcast called Monster Talk. He, uh, they, they're doing... I love that podcast. That's yeah, right. Yeah, they had the whole thing. Uh, uh, Robert Price wrote H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. I think I think he sort of talked a bit about that too, right? H.P. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft sort of, uh, sort of, uh, he didn't like sort of poor minorities, basically, or, or something. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't like anybody who wasn't like old stock New England. No, oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Sort of, so Stephen. An unenlightened Stephen King. That's that's a good way to put it, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. And do you um do you have you don't have like a podcast or website or anything like that? Um, I don't have a podcast. I uh, I'm fairly new to the whole skepticism thing, okay. or at least calling myself that. So I don't have uh, anything okay. like that yet. Okay. Hey, did, so did, did we say the name of the museum? Can you say? Do you want to say the name of your? Oh, museum? sure. I, I guess unlike uh, Mr. Saint Whitehall, I work for. <laughs> I work for a government as well, but I'm I'm like four rungs removed from anybody who's even okay. remotely elected, so I don't have to worry about it. Okay. Now, I work at a – it's called the Fairfax Museum. It's in Fairfax, Virginia. It's just a little uh, local history and sort of visitor center type of deal. Okay, cool. Uh, donations are always accepted? Oh, absolutely. Great. Okay. Do, do, do you go to any kind of skeptical events or are you going to think I haven't, I haven't yet, but I mean like I said, I'm fairly new to it. Oh. I would love to – get out to an amazing meeting or something like that at some point. But okay, I, cool. right now, oddly enough, museums and nonprofits in general don't pay a whole lot of money. So. I, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, I, I guess that, that other question I sort of developed, if you were to get to an amazing meeting or something and someone's like, Andrew Phillips, why is that name? You were on the Conspiracy Skeptic. Can I buy you? Uh, what can people buy you if uh, they meet well, you? Well, I will admit I came on this podcast specifically because it will cultivate huge amounts of uh, fame for me. Okay. <laughs> But uh, I'll, I never refuse alcohol as long okay. as it's not tequila. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So beer, beer school. All right. Okay. And as I always say, you know, on the podcast that doesn't want anything. So if you see uh, Andrew at some sort of skeptical meeting, then uh, yeah, please buy him a, a beer or a scotch or something. Or yeah, it sounds good. All right. I could cool. do. <laughs> All right. And uh, if not, uh, you know, like I always joke, you know, if, you, you know, that money's just piling up and you can't, you know, can't spend it quick enough. Uh, there's other podcasts out there. Monster Talk. They take, mm-hmm. they take donations. Um, I guess. Righteous uh, Indignation. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, if you've got some British pounds from a trip. That's true. You know, that's the stuff. Yeah. So definitely please, you know, uh, donate to other podcasts. Better podcasts things like that so uh yeah okay all right well thank, thanks a lot for coming on andrew no thanks for having me okay and uh yeah yeah and uh, if you if you've you come across any other kind of kooky historical type conspiracies come 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 back on um you know well, there's a new book apparently about how uh hitler escaped to argentina and lived there until his 60s and had twin girls I'll read that and I'll get back to you. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm going to be. I guess probably by the time this comes out, I'm going to be a guest on uh, uh, exposing pseudo astronomy podcast, and I'm sort oh. of. Ta- yeah, I'm sort also of talking. A good podcast. Yeah, I'm talking about the, uh, um, you know, the the whole Nazi uh, bases in South uh, South uh, South Pole, and uh, the, the whole. Nazi hollow earth ideas and stuff oh, like cool. that. Wasn't that New Swabia or something like that? So, something like that, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so, all right. Okay, all right. All right. Thanks a lot. Look today. forward to that. Okay, cool. All right. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. The battle killed a thousand men, maybe even more. The river ran with gallant blood past bullet-riddled shores. Mothers, wives, and children wept. Or the stench of death The battle cry of a thousand men They would not soon forget